0: Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. You're here because you want to learn about how to live a healthier life, how to live more sustainably, how to take your everyday actions and make them work for you and the planet. Sometimes it might feel like you've got this figured out and other times you probably feel lost. That's why I'm here. Together, we will learn how to live happier, healthier lives without the need to be perfect and always allowing space for a little cluelessness on this journey to living a more conscious life. Today on the podcast, I talk to Yvette Baker. Yvette is devoted to exposing and analyzing the intersections of human and non-human oppression through an Afro-Indigenous lens. Yvette is a wise soul, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. This podcast is sponsored by TerraSeed. TerraSeed is on a mission to disrupt the vitamin industry, empower vegans, and reduce plastic waste in the world. They put everything plant-based people struggle to get in an all-inclusive, vegan, compostable package multivitamin that replenishes them and our planet every single day. Seriously, y'all, win, win, win. Even if you're not vegan, this vitamin will help you get those key nutrients that you need. I am so excited to share a discount code for your first purchase. Use code CARLY50 at checkout to get 50% off. Again, that's carly L Y five zero for 50% off your first purchase at taraseed.com. Don't forget this code so they know I sent you. Where are you at right now? If it was a spectrum from clueless to conscious, what are you feeling right in this moment?
1: Oh my God. <laughs> right now in this moment, I the more I, the more I, almost I hadn't learned, you know, ignorance lists, And mm. um, I, I'm not turning back, but you know, the deep to, you know, a lot of the things that I think we'll be discussing, it can sing. And it also makes you realize how much work there is to actually be done and how much solidarity is actually required for the things that we're you know working towards we can't do it alone whether it's vegans non-vegans you know uh, environmentalists whatever you're doing you really do yep. need other the support of other liberation movements yeah as for me i'm okay i'm empowered i'm ho- hopefully empowering others along the way but you know i definitely have my days where i'm more of a one and uh <laughs> and then days where you know i feel like a badass i would say 10 out of 10 cuz i'm doing all that i can you know
0: Yes. Yes. I think that uh, acknowledging that there is going to be both, right? Like acknowledging that there's going to be both days and that they're both valid is a really important tool in liberation work.
1: 100%.
0: Mm -hmm. And I was looking at your Instagram and your bio specifically. I was like, okay, Afro-Indigenous, total liberationist, social Mm -hmm. critic, your average rat lady. Mm -hmm. Like, can we just... Can we just unpack each one? I was like, I want to know more about that. I would love to know more about that. I was like, this is the perfect like bullets points right here. She set it up for me.
1: Oh, well, you know, (laughs) we can start with the fun stuff, work our way from the bottom up. You know, I think that after all that uh, seriousness or which can come off a little intimidating or like, wait, what, like what's going on here? Yeah. But, you know, I love rats are my favorite animals. If I have a favorite, they would be rats.
0: Why rats? Can I ask? Where did that come from? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, they're their cutest have always been cute as hell to me. They're super clever. They love food. I love food. I'm clever. They're cheeky. Um, I don't know. They're just, I look at them and I just, I mean, I could just cry looking at them. They're just oh. so sweet. And I think that's something to do with the fact that they're so misunderstood and mm. underrepresented. And, you know, who we're fighting for, you know, as opposed to cats and dog bunnies and things. I feel like rats are really left out of the picture. They're some of the most exploited animals, you know, along with fish. And, um, yeah, I feel like somebody really needs to stand for them. Um, but really, I've always thought they were super cute. So I'm a rat lady. I've, I've helped skew rats and raised rats pretty much all my life.
0: That's what my other question was going to be. It was like, is this a love from afar? Or are you like, oh yeah, I've got like, you want to see Albert right now? Like, I'm like,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, I, I
1: rescued a cat, um, a couple years ago. So like rats are pretty much out of the picture for the minute. Cause I think my Fair cat enough. would, yeah, would not be so great with that, but, um, <laughs> but yeah turns out still, being a still, cat lady
0: is a different thing than a rat lady. oh yeah
1: very different and i'm not a cat lady i have two huge rat tattoos on my back i'm fully fully dedicated <laughs> and, and as young age my first uh, animal rights animal whale, welfare activism surrounded um rat care rats at pet stores where so i got a few pet stores to change their bedding Um, and then also a lot of rats that didn't get sold or being thrown into the tribe. And so it was able to convince some of the owners to rats to me, just give me a phone call if ever there was a surplus and I would take care of them. So that's that's how it started.
0: How old were you?
1: Eight eight years old.
0: Oh my gosh. So you were like animal liberationist from the get.
1: (laughs) Something like that. I mean, I didn't really remove animals from my plate until many years right. later. But, um, but as for the rest of that bio, you know, I, 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 am, I do myself Afro indigenous. That's just my background, you know, culturally. Mm-hmm. So, and total liberation is my politic. Uh, so that is rooted essentially in an in, in anti-oppression, but it stands for anarchism and it's anti-colonial and it's anti-capitalistic. And through that lens, it it's a commitment to fight for earth and animal liberation. So I put that up there, make that clear where I stand. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I assume we might get into more of that later. But, you know, mm-hmm. uh, total liberation is not to be confused with collective liberation. The two are similar, but they're not the same. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times as, a, as it's become a, a popular buzz phrase, uh, we sort of leave out that total liberation is very, very rooted in politics and it is an anarchist sort of framework so um is that all i put in there social critic liberation social critic oh man i'd be popping off i can't help myself i just critique anything and everything i'm also very inspired by social critics and a lot of black revolutionary thinkers from the past um a lot of whom uh, had social criticisms in their work i think it's super important as far as like reassessing things and, and not just taking things as are. You know, we keep learning. We're learning from one another, but sometimes, often, I think it is valuable to step back and kind of, you know, make sure that we're really, um, you know, using the the language that we want to use. Make sure it's not outdated. Haven't like as a society kind of progress past some of these thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and there's new ways of thinking is that sometimes are just more helpful for for new situations at hand. You know, some some really, really great thoughts uh, from really great thinkers were really appropriate at that time that don't exactly do the best justice, I think, for our own times. So mm-hmm. the social criticisms is all it, social criticism is always um, an important part of my work.
0: So the last part of that, that I didn't list when I listed your bio before, um, is the liberation 360. And yeah, that, may, that is also, um, something I'd love to, to dive into, but I think a, a good place to start since we just, we started with the rat story and kind of can see maybe some progression happening here, but, um, vegan abolitionist when, you know, what's your vegan story? Where did, where did you arrive at veganism?
1: Uh, well, you know, I, I of course, I feel like I'd be remiss for anyone who who sees plant based dieting and veganism as one and the same. So, mm-hmm. as you ask me this question, I, I intend to answer it as uh, a, a social political stance and mm-hmm. anti oppression and qualification of of any being um, that sort of veganism base um, versus just a, a shit in my diet. So, mm-hmm. uh, unlike most folks my vegan journey, if you will, I didn't really start with a dietary shift. Um, mm-hmm. What I put on my plate, was actually the, the last piece of the puzzle um, that mm-hmm. I needed to come to terms with. And so far as standing fully in my anti-oppression work and belief system, because I'd been a social justice hit pretty much my whole life.
0: Mm-hmm. So, And I was
1: raised in a house uh, infused with a lot of Native American culture. So mm-hmm. I was taught to regard uh, animals as community members, along with mm-hmm. the earth so um, I, you know, I talked about doing some animal welfareism work as a child, um, and I can't ever remember that, that animals should be to um, have to suffer for our fashion or entertainment. But it wasn't until about 15 years, until my uh, career in food and hospitality and wine, that I helped open a plant-based restaurant. And it mm. was upscale, and I was eating well. And um, because of financial necessity, I was like, "I'm taking all this free food home." Hell yeah! Um, <laughs> <laughs> I became, I became a sort of, uh, you know, accidentally or just circumstantially, um, begins around me daily. And it all came to me quickly: the realization that there really was no justification for causing more harm when I had the option to cause less. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. I kind of already had a vegan ethos but removing animals from the plate was the last piece and the activism uh then from then incorporated and and I would say around 2020 when a lot of uh black indigenous just people of color in general I think got more of a highlighted platforms if you will after the social uprisings Mm -hmm. um that's when you know, I got a few spotlights and thought, well, you know, since people are looking in my direction, I think I should really, should really say something. And I so resonated with the animal rights community. I I, I fell in love with so many, working with so many activists I'd never met before. It kind of, kind of became the focal point of my work, which was a surprise mm. to me. Um, I just thought, you know, animals should be included, but I realized how many voices are missing from their fight, how many human voices should be standing alongside them in their struggle and are not that I felt obligated to, I think, just stand where I felt most needed, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that's why animal liberation, you know, quote unquote, took over, I guess, and, and also right. the I do now, yeah.
0: And so you're saying, you know, having that ethos before really looking at your plate, did I'm assuming then that made your activism grow in a different way? as you kind of included that piece, right? So that's, is that where we're coming to this like total liberation?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it grew. um, I mean, it grew in so far as like making sure that I really stood in a consistent anti-oppression truth. that That was really my politic, that I was really understanding structural hierarchies and I was really working to dismantle them because I think without, animals in the picture we're leaving out the baseline we're leaving out like the foundation it's it's not, mm-hmm. not my activism wasn't really radical but i'm really looking at the root and i feel like animals sort of lie at the root of so much of our worldly oppression you know and mm. and for and I, and I understand when when those who argue that it's uh, in fact maybe anti-blackness or something else or or you know sexism and all of that is, is fine, but the way we commodify life itself, the way we commodify, commodify animals, I feel like is, is beneath all of that, really. I, don't, I feel like they're the blueprint for, for all of this. You know, The fact that there's a lesser than, greater than, and othering, I, I think it starts with them. So it, it did really change my activism and make sure that I'm always checking myself and I'm always growing, growing and I'm always learning um, and pushing mm-hmm. to do better.
0: That's interesting. I haven't heard it described particularly with those words in terms of the abuse of animals as a blueprint for this kind of othering of society and this um this ability to to put people into different categories um and value them differently. Absolutely. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I I you know, I find so too. I I can't remember where I first heard it um and i want to say christopher sebastian maybe who does brilliant work and um i've listened to so many of his speeches but um so it may be from him but you know essentially along the way i learned that you know even the the atlantic the atlantic slave trade you know that there there wasn't there wouldn't have been um uh you know humans being sent across the seas to be slaves, had it not been for animals first. Like they were the they were the litmus tests. They were commodified and mass produced and um you know enslaved sort of to to for profit. Um, and then wow. humans were after that. So you know it, it really was kind of eye-opening and 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 in that world of realizing the co- interconnectivity of black liberation and animal liberation too. That's a whole other world. But but um, it really ties in. I really do believe that's just one example of, right. you know, the way animals kind of really are at the bottom of our heels and and get overlooked in all of this anti-oppression work, which is a shame.
0: Can we talk a little bit more about that connection between Black liberation and animal liberation and the connection between those two movements? Can we talk a little bit more about that?
1: Ooh. Oh my goodness. Um, sure. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> oh, man. do you have the time though? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it's just speaking of, you know, Christopher Sebastian, I'm mean, like, oh, he's brilliant. I mean, in, in the interconnectivity to it would, I mean, the connection I think was very like on a fundamental level, I think before I really started diving into his work um, three or four years ago, maybe we've heard of intersectionality, you know, as a concept and, and a lot of folks I think are. Um, maybe on board and not on board about, you know, bringing animals into that equation because it Hmm. was, you know, the coin was turned by a black woman and for other forms of oppression. But, but I think when we regard animal liberation or animal oppression, and we look at the ways that animals have been treated, we can see how many times in history not not us we're not making the comparisons between the two but but the oppressors how many times animals have been oppressed in the same way and by the same folks as black folks were oppressed whether it was like the same kind of ex- experimentation and being compared to certain animals as uh, being appropriate to, to test upon you know for example and putting us into you know prisons or zoos if you want to look at it that way the same kind of prison industry. Complex. I think the two have so many parallels that Mm. we don't talk about. Um, I I did read a book that talked about the parallel by Christy uh, Alger, who goes by Writing Liberation on on Instagram. She wrote a book that's incredible, talks Mm -hmm. about those two parallels. Uh, At any rate, I feel like we are just sort of remiss of all the things that these Black radical thinkers were talking about as far as how structural oppression operates and how. Uh, collective liberation operates. It was Fannie Lou Hamer who said, you know, no one's free until we're all free. Or, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but but when we really hold those words in true regard, it's like so many Black thinkers have, mm-hmm. we cannot do the same thing to animals and think that we are going to be free. Um, also, oh. so much of... Animal oppression ties directly back into Black and Brown communities with the right. way that you know factory farming operates, and the way that we're you know environmental racism is you know playing a huge part in animal agriculture, whether it be the farmers themselves or the pollutions that the pollution that's being created and running into our neighborhoods and polluting our air and our water and and um, you know making massive you know health destruction and in, in our communities and. I it's just I can't imagine a world where we, where we we're making progress that we want to see, but we have trillions of beings being exploited right uh, right beneath us um, because it's affecting us directly in so many right. ways. I mean that's just a tip of the iceberg, and yeah. you know I, I don't I don't believe I can even do that topic justice, and it's a hard conversation for a lot of people because because there's so many reasons why you know unjustly black folks are still compared to animals and still treated as as lower beings and so to talk about the two in tangent is is really hard it's hard but i think it's necessary but i think the key is to look into the work like christopher sebastian but also look into the work of of any of, of most black um animal rights advocates because i feel like these are conversations that uh, can be had within community with mm-hmm. love and respect versus, you know, having to hear it from some random, you know, white PETA or anonymous for the voiceless activists who yep. may, may say something really offensive and, and, and also just not be genuine and, <laughs> and believing yeah. in both struggles, you know, they're kind of co-opting one to, to make a point for the other. And nobody, nobody got time for that. I mean, that's, that's not, that's not the messenger we need, but is right. Important. Cause that's not authentic. No, not at all. But it is important to talk about. There's mm-hmm. a lot to talk about regarding the two. And I've I've made posts about that, specifically this, on my Instagram page, because I do feel it's really important, the connection between Black liberation and animal liberation. Very, very important to dive into that.
0: So I imagine as, as um, a woman of color in this movement, in all of the movements that we're talking about, right? But specifically talking about black liberation and vegan liberation, has that ever been an isolating place to be? Have you had pushback from other people of color that are are not liking that? Like, I'm wondering how that is for you to navigate.
1: Um, yes, pushback is real and I, it's frustrating, you know, it's frustrating. And I continue the education that because partly because of that, because Mm -hmm. I think that understanding more is very helpful, but then I also understand when when folks like myself opt out I'm, I'm right. not used to twist anyone's arm or to convince them that somehow they need to manage taking on more um, in addition to what they already face. Um, so I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not really walking into black Brown communities saying like, Hey, we need to do more for animals. I'm right. I'm opening up to anyone who has the capacity, anyone who can listen and anyone who can do better, but that's not to write off anyone just because they're black or Brown or because they might be in a poor community. Um, I do think it's important that we get the education. We're not ramming anything down anyone's throats, but this is adversely affecting so many of us. So it's not that, Oh, you know, leave poor people alone or leave black people alone. Like we need to call on our own and Mm. understand these issues and how, you know, banning together can make us all very, it can make it all very successful um, no matter what we're focused on. But yeah, I mean, Oh man, there's, I mean, you get, you get angry, (laughs) angry folks, (laughs) You know, Angry messages, not quite even understanding where we're coming from. You know, they mm. won't. You know, they've heard enough. You know, white vegan rhetoric, mm-hmm. and, and they think that you're coming with with that mess. And you know, they're like, you're about to tell me, but we're all animals, so we just, you know, I'm like, that's not. You know, that's like the long and short of a <laughs> lot of a lot of messaging out there. And I'm like, oh god, I'm 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 so sorry, but that's not exactly the the Kool Aid I'm I'm sipping on. So yeah, yeah, um. So yeah, it's 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 tough. It's important. It's tough. It's at the moment not the focal point of my work because I'm not in the space of uh, veganizing people. I'm kind mm. of in the space of. Um, I'm sorry if it's if there's loud noise on my end from all the downtown LA noise. Mm. I'm not in the space of veganizing people. I am in more of the space of taking vegan activists and having hard conversations about getting more involved in systemic activism, and things that we can do to see tangible results as time kind of winds down with our environmental health here with with climate, you know, climate change. And so I feel like there's, there's bigger moves we can make rather than standing in the street, you know, with, Mm. with with signs. Um, I'm, you know, trying to get more of us involved in, in lobbying and involved in political activism um there's a group of activists including myself we're kind of looking at you know full time and part time DC uh, ventures to get into Oh it. wow. Yeah, we're really trying to it's like it feels like do or die you know. Uh, yeah. US farm bill is coming out uh next year in September and it'll set the stage for so many years of spending and you know it's it's if these uh, ranchers, cowboys all get their way, you know, it's, it has devastating effects. There's really no one standing from the vegan angle working on these issues. There's other social justice movements who are very well, very well uh, aware of what the Farm Bill means um, as far as our future, but uh, vegans aren't really there. They're not really showing up. So my work is rooted in trying to get activists to show up.
0: So I, I think that's really interesting. You're saying like my, you know, we need people at all levels and my, what I'm doing is not trying to make non-vegans vegans. vegans. What I'm trying to do is talk to vegans who are already committed and make them do better.
1: Right. Right. And I think, and I don't think that cultural, I call it cultural work, you know, is this social, it's a, a social, social work, social, political movement, the social part, the social piece, you know, the Earthling Ed stuff, if you will, you know, talking to people, debating people. That's great. You know, it change, changes lives. It changes individual lives. But, you know, that the rate of population growth and what's happening with the effects of our, um, uh, you know, our capitalistic ways and the way we commodify everything and the way that we cause a lot of destruction. I just don't I don't think that there's time enough to veganize one by one. Um, I, 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 I really don't see it. Um, so I think it, it is better time spent trying to change policy because even if you veganize someone, you know, we're not in a fair supply demand fight. So that's great that somebody went vegan because they heard a lecture, but then they're at the store buying plant milk thinking they're saving cows. And that's just not the reality. That's not the way our food system works. And, um, you know, the the more we're aware of that, the more we, I think, will be empowered to mobilize and do something about the fact that we're not making the difference that we want to make, that our divestment from animal products and animal exploitation is only symbolic and that our taxes are wow. being used to support all the things that we're against whether that be animal agriculture or animal testing or what have you. We fund that. We fund that just as much as non-vegans. So mm-hmm. if we would like to see that a different version, a different world or our, our taxes going for things we actually believe in. Then we have to we have to be there. We either have to be the politicians ourselves um, or we have to be the ones influencing them to hear our voices and to know that we're mighty, that we're a larger group than people think. And that it's tied into environmentalism and all the other issues that are, that are, you know, being heard right now as we're kind of on the back burner.
0: That's, uh, I think we need to highlight that point for myself and for listeners, right? Like, you know, you, you go to the store and you get your oat milk and you're like, great, I saved um, a cow and <laughs> you're, you're, um, and I think that too, right? I'm like, thank gosh, I'm saving all these animals by being vegan, that's one perk. And I talk about that even, and the way you just said that is such a reminder of like, that's cute, but you're in a larger system that is more complicated than choosing your milk and making like wild differences. Um, that's a lot to, that's a lot to swallow.
1: It is, it is a lot. It, It was a, it was a, I mean, frankly, a depressing realization for me, you know, um, we had been told, you know you stop buying, they'll stop supplying. And, <laughs> and it's a, it's just frankly a, a really big sort of misinformation campaign. It, it sounds great. you know, just go vegan, but it's it's not the truth yet. I mean, it's not the reality we're in and we know that focusing our energy solely into protesting and trying to get people to go vegan one by one keeps our movement running in place. Um, you know with mega farms, Um, of the animal agricultural industries receiving massive government bailouts, subsidies, insurances, Um, vegans and their spending power may grow, but with a rigged and corrupt system, it doesn't grant us a fair supply and demand fight. So, you know, we, we are also highlighted that small farms are going out of business and it's because of all the plant milks you see on the shelves. And that's just not the reality either. You know, you have a lot of, um, small farms going out of business because they cannot compete with the larger farms who yeah. receive, who not only receive f- extraordinary funds, but who also scam extraordinary funds. And that is a work right now of agriculture fairness Alliance, which is a vegan backed lobbying mm. group. And they are exposing like no other, how Exactly fraudulent, the meat and dairy industries have been in stealing funds and diverting funds away from from where they were meant to be and, and level the playing field. Fruit and vegetable farmers, black and brown farmers included, but they are hoarding and scamming, and it is like a welfare scheme beyond your your wildest dreams. Like eight hundred billion dollars, I believe there was a like a COVID bailout fund for farmers and. And yeah these mega farms are just milking it all up and you know creating um fraudulent entries, pretending like they're additional farms you know getting multiple Jesus. payments so like no matter what we're really doing, they are not feeling the effects of our losses. the sales are only going up they go like you know um in production year after year after year um so it it's not that that we we think would be correlated to how the shelves have been diversified to include vegan food. It's really symbolic. It really is just vegan capitalism, and it's really not the way toward liberation
0: for anyone. This podcast is supported by Will's Vegan Store. Will's Vegan Store has been a vegan company at the front of vegan clothing and sustainable fashion since they launched in 2013 by their founder, Will Green. They produce the most beautiful, vegan, sustainably made shoes, clothing, and accessories. I have been obsessed with this brand for years now. They were one of the first vegan brands that I really made the switch to. It can be hard to thrift shoes But I love knowing that if I'm going to purchase a pair of shoes from Will's Vegan store, they are going to be ethically made, their workers are protected, they don't use plastic packaging, they're delivered in an environmentally friendly way. It's truly the most amazing company to support. So if you're ready to try them yourself, hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you. This podcast is supported by Who Gives a Crap? Who Gives a Crap is an eco-friendly toilet paper company that donates 50% of its profits to help ensure everyone has access to clean water and a toilet within our lifetime. Who Gives a Crap has donated almost $8 U.S. million to nonprofit organizations who help provide clean water and toilets all over the world. Who Gives a Crap is delivered straight to your door with carbon neutral delivery. I love that it comes that way. I don't have to think about it. It's an automatic subscription and I want you to try it. You can check out Who Gives a Crap and get $10 off your first order over $54 with the code CARLY10, that's C-A-R-L-Y 10, or check out the link in the show notes. So I would love to to talk through a little bit, I think it's a, I think it's a good segue, given what you just said about like vegan capitalism and kind of symbolic to talk Uh about white veganism. Oh, and uh, (laughs) 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 my knuckles. Yeah. I was like, let me rearrange (laughs) how I'm sitting here and get ready. But I think that it's, um, it's an important conversation to continue to have, even though there's, Mm -hmm. as we can see on the internet, a lot of people that don't want to hear that. Um, A lot of white vegans that do not want to hear this conversation, but I know that Mm -hmm. you post about it, you know, pretty frequently in in calling that out. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about white vegans like me. (laughs) Well, uh, we can talk about it,
1: but I really want to, really want to clarify that it, you know, white veganism doesn't mean veganism from white people, it, right, you know, right. you can white person and a vegan and, and not be steeped in any white vegan rhetoric, you know? Um, and yes, I, I do, uh, it, it's more of a, it's more of a, a, a <laughs> like a, a way that you're going about your activism. It's a like sort of right. a, a really messed up problematic belief system and, and, and activism series of, uh, of events that kind of it feels like white um,
0: feminism adjacent.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, um, it's something that I went into, uh, a few times, uh, in in my social media for sure. I have a a pinned post on it because I thought it was important. It's important. And then it's not important. And I think I talked about Mm. that well as well. And and I think it's not important because it will always be, you know, Mm. we're not, we're not going to get them all, um, (laughs) 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 Not only that, but I think that, that, or there's so many large organizations that are reliant on selling, selling particular lies and, and, and coming forth with a particular activism style that attracts certain people so that they feel like white savior. It's kind of in the white savior realm where, you know, people don't want to work and they don't want to, you know, understand, uh, Collective liberation, and they don't want to understand how oppression actually operates. They'd
0: rather just feel good about it. making a difference, but it to be easy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think I'm, you know, I provided probably the world's longest definition of like what white veganism is on my <laughs> post. And, um, you know, I can uh, <laughs> hit you with a little snippet of it because it's important to yeah. understand. We're- about it but it's essentially a form of veganism that's rooted in white supremacy and refers to a culture that disregards marginalized voices From the mainstream, begin discourse while centering white voices and creating white saviors, as we discussed. Um, Its white-dominated leadership has allowed racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, transphobia, weightism, and ableism to thrive within the animal liberation movement. So long as it has been for the animals, this culture fervently insists on apolitical, single-issue activism, which is animals only, and hyper focuses on individualism. And as a result, has a morally sound anti-speciesist animal liberation struggle. Buried and lost in the mainstream perception of vegans as classist, exclusionary, purist, aggressive, and compassionless, caring far more about the plight of non-humans than anyone else. Um, So I sort of, (laughs) I opened with that. And it's important to understand. I didn't think I could really paraphrase, because I don't want to miss anything.
0: No, that's important. It's a helpful, it's helpful to hear. It's helpful to hear all of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: Copy paste. Copy paste. So there's that. But I also talked about how um it's important and I created I create work highlighting what white veganism is and where it shows up for three important reasons. And one was because non-vegans, especially non-vegans of color, are citing, continually cite issues indicative of white veganism as an excuse to ignore animals. That is terrible and problematic and unnecessary. Two, that there's proponents of white veganism that refuse to listen and do better, and yeah. right, so thereby rationalizing non-vegans' dismissal of an, of our of our movement um, for supporting non-humans. And three, pro-intersectional spaces, um, you see a fair amount of advocacy tactics, tactics, and doctrine clearly informed by white veganism. Um, most notably, the spreading of uh, dis- disinformation campaigns. Um, which are things that sound correct and perpetually repeated to support our arguments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, without understanding, that this is the thing, this is, this is a component that white supremacy has creeped into our movement. Then it, it can stifle our work. It can stifle those of us who are doing the actual work and, and and sort of get shielded by, by white veganism, not taken seriously you know there has to be a distinction and i see activists of color making that distinction all the time and saying hey you're talking about white veganism this isn't what veganism is this isn't what we stand for we're an anti oppression movement we are not any any of this other stuff we're not calling people out on their their lifestyle or saying i'm holier than thou we're not mm-hmm. doing we're, we're 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 doing so much work that is so integral to other social justice movements And we're not taken seriously because of this mess, because of white veganism. So it's very important to identify what it is, help some of those who care to dismantle that belief system within themselves, Mm
0: -hmm. and also
1: to make others see that, you know, there's a separation. and, And as long as they're standing on the right side of what veganism actually is, actually the liberation struggle that it actually is, then, you know, we can move forward and hopefully move together and get some stuff done.
0: Yeah. I think it's so clear. I mean, I definitely came into being vegan one thinking of it as a diet first. Um, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what got me there. And two, just obviously like steeped in my own privilege and, and, and unpacking that and figuring that out. Um, and the evolution of what veganism means to me, I mean, that's still happening. Um, and that's, and I'm still learning and, and hopefully, you know, plan to, continue on with that, not ever stopping that journey. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's so clear to see how, once you step back, how much of a distraction it is, how much these like few vegan talking heads that are, you know, white bodied aren't doing anything, (laughs) like aren't doing anything.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, they're getting some clout, they get donations, they, you know, they get to be the face of the movement, you know, and that's fine. So is the world. You know, we take we right. take white male voices, you know, seriously, and everybody else is just complaining about something. So we have a little bit of that mentality going on. But what you just said, I, it really resonates with me as well. And a lot of activists, color. I don't, I don't mean to, cre- you know, create the impression that we all just get it straight away because we're black folks or, or indigenous folks. We stumble onto veganism and then, you know, have it quote unquote, you know, perfectly. Like there's no perfect veganism first, but also a lot of us, you know, are exposed as I was into white veganism first. And I also perpetuated some of that mess. And you know, I was foaming at the mouth like everybody else when they first Ooh, go vegan, yeah. and, and pointing, f- <laughs> yeah, pointing fingers, and like wanting to shake people. Like, Why not not cute.
0: It was not a cute look. <laughs> the <It's a> connection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Go laughs> <it>.
1: <laughs> so, you know. And then we, yeah, we evolve when you really, when you really care to, um, you know, look into what what has been done in other liberation movements. And where we can borrow and learn from them then you really see how how leftist uh, our movement is and how political it should be not turning anyone away because they're not vegan you know everyone's an important piece of the puzzle and it's like and you know a lot of that stuff just never comes to light for so many people because they just want to stay in place they just want to say you know go watch dominion and you know you'll, you'll get it. <laughs>
0: Whatever. You yeah, know? no, so, truly. Yeah. I mean, I've had to leave a few Facebook groups and such as I think we all have had to over the years. Um, Cause I can't handle it. Like you want to be like in the inside and making comments, but then I got, Oh my gosh. I don't even remember what group, some vegan group. Cause it's nice to be a part of them. And then I share the podcast and I'm like, Hey, yo, listen, but it is not always worth it. Uh, because no. there was like this question that you had to answer to get into the group. And it, one of them was like, would you buy non-vegan food for a friend or family member? And I said, yes, because like my mom was sick the other day and I went and bought her some things that she wanted. Cause she was sick that weren't vegan, but that's not, that's not why I was there, right? Like that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. I didn't I didn't like how it felt, but that's that's not my journey. Mm-hmm. I was doing something for a family member. And this person, somebody messaged me, a page long attack about how I cannot call myself vegan and how, and it was some white girl, obviously. I mean, obviously it was. All
1: right, we already knew that. We, already we, knew, that. Knew,
0: we knew that. We knew <laughs> that. And she was pissed. And I was just like, I took screenshots and I was like, I shared it on Instagram and was like, this is the problem with like whiteness in this space. And with like this whole issue is that if you don't leave room to learn and to have nuance, then what the hell are you doing?
1: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, been there, been there. I totally understand. Um, you know, and it doesn't, you know, my, whether I would or, or would not do what you did for, you know, a sick person. Mm-hmm. Is irrelevant. I, I, it's, it's, it blows my mind that there is no room for nuance. And all above that, that we're trying to call in other humans to make this <laughs> realization. We're trying to, this is, you know, I mean, it, it is a, it is an animal struggle and we are their allies. However, mm. we're, mm-hmm. we're creating our own movements with other humans, but we fail to connect with humans or have any, <laughs> any desire that any part <laughs> ever to relate to other humans or, or to be empathetic, like in, in, in any way. Um, again, you know, it's going back to, yeah, wanting to be right and wanting to, you know, feel holier than thou when it, it doesn't make sense. And it literally, I mean, going back to what we were just talking about, about supply demand, it also just doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> really you're not, you, you didn't, you didn't kill an extra cow or chicken or pig. You just didn't, you really didn't. Um, you know, and nor did, nor did their, uh, beyond burger, impossible burger, you know, Yoko cheese. It didn't save anyone. So obviously the biggest problem with all of this is that it turns people away. Right. And they don't even get to a place where they are understanding what's happened because they are completely taken aback by a lot of our behavior, the vegan label on it. Um, right. So that's unfortunate. And another reason why, you know, we talk about why veganism, because when we run into that, we want to know what it is. And when we're ready right. to open up and include animals in our, in our liberation struggles, then we can go to, to better sources, hopefully than Facebook groups with angry white ladies on them.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I'm ever ready for that day, but, but yeah, um, (laughs) I think it's, it's also very clear that this has informed you being a co-founder, am I correct? Of liberation 360?
1: Uh, I'm not. It, it was founded by Connie Spence, who's my mentor. OK, uh, she is. Yeah, she's a total liberation activist, vegan advocate, um, food system expert. So I am really new into food system knowledge. I mean, as vegans, we, we you know, we get the stats. We hear a lot of the basics. But as far as like food policy and food supply chain and the corruption that's hiding behind uh, our food you know, policies, the loopholes and whatnot. Connie has been really instrumental in all of that for me. She founded both Liberation 360 and Agriculture Fairness Alliance. So Liberation 360 is essentially the educational arm to get us involved, get us in the know, to be able to, you know, mobilize and and centralize vegan voters and get us politically involved, which is the realm of Agriculture Fairness Alliance. So I feel like because we're such a small group, um, we we're, were, we're, there's three founders of liberation through 360 myself, Connie Spence and Gwenna Hunter, you know, it feels, <laughs> it feels co-founder ish, but you know, I cannot take any credit. She did all the work, but, uh, the three of us, we have a very symbiotic relation. Uh, we do so much, um, you know, work that's, that, that's compatible and that, that really melds together seamlessly. Um, you know, we really, we need one another. <laughs> yeah. So, um with, with all three pieces, we, we really, we really all take our, our individual place
0: and we make it work. So what does your work with them look like? Uh,
1: well, it's because, um, because of this shift towards DC for mm-hmm. it, myself included, um, much of the focus has been towards the agriculture fairness Alliance, but okay. on the educational side, you know, we're trying to, demystify i've been picking up uh, as a teacher teacher and a student everything that i learn is is geared towards demystifying the history and functioning of our food system uh giving those giving you know an audience that education so that we kind of feel um you know like more well equipped and um, yeah, and approaching the issues that they use, and those as well. Um, and on the ground, uh, until subsidies change and make plant-based we make plant food more accessible, we um, support our affected communities by addressing food insecurity, uh, inaccessibility, waste. We provide food and financial help in the form of groceries to children and young adults um, who are an otherwise unsupported group. Uh, many of whom would like to be vegan but lack the autonomy to do so with with growth decisions made by their parents have a a program called fed up that i help run um, that you know supports supports young activists um and i am sort of the direct relationship between our organization And a lot of local businesses, a lot of local farmers um, and black and brown vendors to get them involved and and what we're doing and finding out how we can support them. Um, So I I have a background also working in local farmers markets myself. I know how much food waste comes out of farmers markets, a shocking amount of Mm. of goods that can't hold the next week. So they just go into the bin, uh, overflowing trash bins. Tell you so. Creating a relationship can kind of put those food into people's mouths as opposed to in the bin. And there's some larger organizations um, doing similar work there, but not in a vegan space and not within okay. the same frameworks. So one of our founders, as well, or excuse me, not one of our um, board members of Liberation 360 did found the um, first vegan uh, food bank in Los Angeles. So wow. it's all, right there. yeah. So myself creating the relationship with the farmers getting food to you know children and young adults and Gwenna you know holding down the food bank getting food to anyone in the communities who need to be supported and Connie doing all the data crunching and and getting all the information really tied together and demystified for me to sort of like you know simplify and and uh relay to our audiences is kind of like you know it's, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine for us. Um, but yeah, so, so my, 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 I'm more of the relation face-to-face person with, with the farmers and the vendors.
0: That sounds amazing. It, It sounds like an organization that will hopefully continue to grow. You know, I imagine like chapters around the country and, um, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure those are things you've thought about obviously, but as you're saying that, I was like, that needs to be everywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean and you know the I w- I would love to see it grow. I would love to see other chapters, but I would also just love it to do what it was meant to do, which uh aside from supporting communities in the moment, it's really meant to mobilize us. Mm. It's really just it's really just meant to be the catalyst to get us more people involved in the political stuff so that we don't keep running in place, you know? Yeah. We have a we have a hand and changing policy and restructuring the food system actually is, you know, um, so, so that's what I hope it does. And so if people don't want to be involved with Liberation 360, that's fine. You can skip over that and go straight to Agriculture Fairness Alliance and, you know, register for the Vegan Voter Hub and, and you know, become a member and find out how you can either support the lobbyists there or, you know, get involved in our training slash incubation program to become a mm. lobbyist yourself, um which I may be facing very shortly. You know, I can't say for certain, but there's a there's a good chance that I will be registered as a lobbyist myself, and
0: that'll be part two of our interview. Someday. Oh yeah, vegan lobbyist, you
1: bet. Here yes. we go. I never saw my life
0: in direction, but life is funny, isn't it?
1: <laughs> isn't it though?
0: <laughs> so given all of the amazing shit you're doing, like, n- seriously, I just, I forget, I say this all the time, but I forget sometimes that I don't share the audio or that I don't share the video of these podcasts. And then people don't see that I'm sitting here just like, damn, like, <laughs> oh my God. Or just like shaking my head. And I'm like, I wish people could just see my face being like, yes, all the time when I'm listening to people. Um, And that is, feels very similar to you. I'm, I'm truly in awe of, um, the work you're doing and, and really am grateful for it. But given all that, how do you take care of yourself?
1: Ooh, Ooh self-care combo. Well, <laughs> if you're up for
0: it, if you're up, well, for
1: it. well. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'll say it. I'm, I'm new to self-care. I'm brand, mm-hmm. brand new. I'm a new. I'm a newbie. Mm-hmm. And that's a mistake. (laughs) That's been a mistake for me. I made a mistake. (laughs) I made a mistake. So now we're correcting that mistake Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: rest. I do take days off. Mine keeps spinning. I'm working on, you know, once you know about all of this, it's really hard to unsee it. We're in a non-vegan world. So every time I go outside, there are clear reminders of you know, exploitation and oppression everywhere. So in that way, self-care is tough because I get constant reminders, but I love dancing. I love trying new cuisine. Um, (laughs) I love socializing. I love going out with girls. And so I, I allow myself to do all these things and I really schedule them in. Yeah. I don't say like later later, I just plug them in. And, uh, I, you know, I mentioned Connie Spence earlier, my mentor, she's also become a great friend. She also really holds me accountable and says, Hey, we're going out on Tuesday. We're going out next Thursday. And then I do it. Yeah. And yeah, we know, we always, you know, the board members of liberation 360, we have at least one dinner outing a month. We go to a nice vegan restaurant and we unwind and, you know, we can sort of, sort of, um, shoot the shit. I can say that and just, you know, have a cackle and not take everything so seriously. Um, so that's super important. And so like just showing up to actually do it is so new to me and also working a little bit less. I was working seven days a week for many, many, many years. That's not a flex not cool. It's not, it's not the grind. Is not cool, yeah. but it yeah. was my reality out of necessity. Yeah. And so now that I'm moving away from that, I just, I show up to the things that bring me joy. So whatever brings you joy, you just got to make sure you arrive at that joy. Mm. Whatever. It is. Yes. And, and it's easier said than done. It's way easier said than done, especially because I always feel like, oh, there's more to do and time is running out and all those things. But you know, if I Overwhelm myself, then I'm out of the game. So my longevity is dependent on taking care of myself. So that's what I'm doing.
0: That is such an important lesson. Like circle, underline, bold, all of that is what I'm still learning too. Is that if I burn myself out, I'm worthless. <laughs> so taking <laughs> care, you know, like is it um, Audrey Laura that said taking care of yourself is an act of rebellion? And mm, I love when you quoted Audrey. And, and that, that is something that I think of often like, okay, like it's rebellious actually to continue on self-care, not just like baths and whatever, although I'm a big slut for a bath, but like (laughs) not just that, right? Like, but the real stuff and that is an ongoing lesson. So I I appreciate you saying that you're still learning and being like, yeah, self-care isn't just something that like is handed to us and we understand to do it, especially depending on our life circumstances, right? It's often something we're learning as adults, like, oh, taking care of yourself is important. Right.
1: Right. It's important and I, I like what you just said because yeah, it's also a privilege in some ways. Yeah. So yeah, we have to recognize that. And and yeah, if we have the means, it's it's a must. I always feel like my ancestors too. They're like, it's a must. Yes. So many of them may have not had that privilege. And that's all they would really want from me. I know this. They would want me to take care of myself. They would not want the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'm sure they're proud of me for doing what I can do but I know that they're behind me and wanting to soothe and soothe me and have me take care of myself. So I do, I do just that.
0: Yeah. Ooh, full body chills. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's good. Is there anything that you've wanted to share with listeners that I haven't given you space to do so?
1: Um, you know, I think that we have covered so much, so much goodness I guess you hear about total liberation, collective liberation. The only thing that I think that is worth mentioning because I'm seeing these phrases so much more. And I think that a lot of people have the impression that it's new and the buzz phrasey and whatnot, but really collective liberation is so rooted in so many indigenous cultures that the, you know the health of all the beings around you and the earth is really tied into your own health, your own freedom. And, and these these are very very old old paradigms, um, and even as such, I think a lot of these phrases now are being adopted by all sorts of activists, even those activists who haven't yet come to include animals in their anti-oppression stance. And I would love to mention that animal liberation or veganism, if you will, and a lot of people won't, but is integral to our success. It's integral to total liberation and what collective liberation means. And it's it's not only nonsensical to exclude trillions of beings, but it is counterproductive for all the ways that our exploitation and commodification of animals affects them and ourselves. So the more we realize that, or if we can be honest or have an open mind in approaching the work of total liberation activists who understand that animals are a part of the equation. I think it's super, super important. And on a lighter note, sort of cringy just to see these, these phrases being thrown around without any real purpose or understanding. And I think it's not, it's important to um, recognize and, and, you know, um, yeah, it's important to recognize when things have been watered down because yeah. that can be very dangerous. I think some of this is getting watered down and it's, it sounds nice. So people throw it, throw these words around and not just in their bios, but you know, wherever and, mm. and yeah, I think we should have a, a more rooted understanding of why these terms are so radical. Right. radical, radical in the real sense of the word, meaning, you know, it, it like, Uh, focused on the root causes of oppression and and i don't believe you can again i don't believe you can look at root causes of oppression while ignoring animals yeah so full circle
0: yeah i think that's a really important point to make because we see so many especially like you said after you know social uprisings and everything we've seen all all these different lanes of activism take mm-hmm. off, pop up. Some are helpful, some are not. And making sure we understand the words we're either using or seeing um, is a lot more important than I think sometimes we realize. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, absolutely. 100% agree. To summarize, we cannot only oppose some oppression. Doesn't work like that. So Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> There's the <salt> bite. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's all, yeah,
1: essentially yeah, that,
0: yeah, oh, well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I really do hope we do a part due someday. I could talk to mm-hmm. you for so much longer. I really enjoy your spirit um and your work, and I'm excited to see what's next for you and if we're looking at Yvette the lobbyist it's here soon,
1: Woo! oh my God, I don't know. doing my best. It's a possibility, and yes, your listeners, by the way, are missing out on how genuine and warm and exciting your face and expressions are how do you just (laughs) just exude (laughs) i am like oh i love talking to you as well so the visuals yeah definitely missing out folks but
0: (laughs) real thank thank you for saying that i really appreciate it i have so enjoyed talking to you and uh i can't wait to keep connecting same thank you so much Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, put it on social media. Don't forget to tag me. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, leave a review. Reviews and shares help more people to see the podcast and join in on the fun. If you want to make sure to stay up to date on future episodes, follow me at Consciously Carly on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or Pinterest, and head to consciouslycarly.com to sign up for the newsletter. Ready for more Conscious Living content? Check out patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and join the exclusive community over there. And finally, if you're ready to take better care of yourself and the world, let's work together. Click the link in the show notes to head to the website, find out more, and schedule a free discovery call with me. Chat soon. In 2016, Mint Mobile was born because its founders thought that Big Wireless was, well, dumb. So they decided it was time to create a smarter wireless company, one that extends its middle finger to conventional truths while also pointing out where Big Wireless is letting people down. They're online only, you can buy plans that are three month, six month, 12 month, no contracts. Choose to stay as long as you want. There are no overages. There's no surprises. There's just no BS. And for someone who lives in a remote area like myself, I can attest to the fact that the service is great and I have truly had no problems and oftentimes is better than the big wireless companies I was with before. To find out more about how Mint Mobile can work for you, Hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you.